Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching. We are live, sort of, recording live recording. Recording live. At AECT here in Orlando. And we're continuing our series on the community of inquiry, talking about online teaching and online learning. We are joined today by Dr. Sherry Conklin, who is an assistant professor at UNC Wilmington in the Watson College of Education, Department of Instructional Technology. You are well-versed in social presence and quality matters rubrics and quality assurance frameworks. and Which has been a hot topic down here. Yeah, it's been a very hot topic, but uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. Yeah. So we've been doing our podcast um, on COI, and we're dealing with social presence, and we thought we'd bring somebody in who has been researching this, who's been using it and studying it. So um, give us a little bit of your background and what brought you to this, you know, to COI and, and social presence, the why. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so... I've been an online student for many years. Uh, I completed half my master's in an online format due to professors getting NFS grants and having to just not be there, um, which was fine with me. I was happy with that because I was a working teacher. And then I went into um, my doctorate, which was a fully online program. Mm -hmm. And so- Shout out Boise State. Boise State. Boise State. Broncos. All right. So there was also the connection and do you need the connection to have the learning with other peers like do you need to have that engagement with your other peers to complete a a course in an effective way and so i always had an interest in that because i just really didn't like group work (laughs) i didn't want to be in a group i didn't want to be accountable for somebody else i wanted to do it on my time and so i said why do we need to have peer-to-peer interaction in every course? Is it necessary? And so that's kind of how I landed in the social presence realm. And that's really taken a hard right into instructor social presence for me. So okay, that's been my latest. So do you want to you take us further down into that hard right? Instructor social presence? Yeah. Um, it's and in the COI framework, it does say that the teaching presence does drive the social yeah, and cognitive right, presence. Right. Yes. Yeah. But in the COI framework, it's um, design and facilitation. And as a former instructor, instructional designer, I found it <clears throat> to be two completely skill sets that instructors needed. One, they okay. needed design and setting up an online course, and what does that look like? And then the facilitation piece of an online course. And I was working with um, programs that were running on seven-week formats. They had master courses with copies, and so one person would design the course, and six other people would teach that same exact copy of the Mm -hmm. course. But then when they were doing their teaching evaluations, they were evaluating them on the design of the course. And I was like, but they didn't design the course. So how are they facilitating? And then what do students really need from that facilitation if you're 
don't have access to the design. And so um, really what students have said is they love and crave the instructor. They want that interaction from the instructor in the form of feedback, in the form of timely feedback, of constructive feedback, um, keeping them up to date with like what's happening next. You know, don't forget next week you need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, adding some humor, bringing in some personal experiences, really. Um, and although I wanted to keep the design out of the facilitation, it came up in the form of organization. So when students go into a well-designed course, it's like that first impression of meeting somebody. And, and I've seen it over and over on student responses is, I love the design of the course. I can tell they took a lot of time, which means to me they really care about mm. teaching. So someone who's passionate and cares about what they, and if they can, exude that into the course, if they can infiltrate that into the course, then it, students have said, their passion motivates me. Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, a lot of students say they don't like group work. You know, some did, a lot of my studies recently were done during COVID when everybody felt alone. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. there was some of that aloneness, but I just never feel like the group work should be forced. And then do instructors do group group work to lessen grading like I look at it from an instructor standpoint being a former instructional designer too and a former teacher you know so why are we doing group work if we're going to get back in the social presence like what is the purpose mm -hmm. I mean what is the purpose for the assessment that you're doing it goes back to the quality matters is it aligned with your learning objectives mm -hmm. and does it serve a purpose you know so you go with the objectives and making sure that things align first before you look at, okay, should I do group work? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. In our program, we do group work in full semester terms um, because they are not com computer programmers. They're not going to go out in the field and work in isolation at a screen. They're going to work on a team. Okay. And so building soft skills and communication is really important for them to go, like every job description you see can work well on a team, has good um, communication skills, with oral and written communication skills. And so they have to learn to work through issues and problems. And I even use group charters, like how are you going to resolve any issues that you have before you come to the instructor? What are your steps? How do you define... Um, you know, non-participatory? Is it that someone doesn't respond to you in 24 hours? So I make them have these discussions before they get into their group to Almost say- Almost like a holistic rubric you're building with them. It so is. they have to define their, their performance characteristics for their group. Yes. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Okay. So is that vary by, so you do it on a group level or the entire class comes up with this? No, each team comes up with each their team. own. Each team comes up when they have their team meetings or they set aside time for team meetings, which is helpful for me because then if they need to meet with me, I go back to that document and see when they meet. Yeah. It's easier for you me just jump in. to jump in on their meeting than yeah. for us to come up with whole new meeting time. That so how does sense. that look as far as assessing goes? So, I mean, they still, 
they still get a group grade okay. no matter what. Mm. Um, and I'm not a big quiz person, but I've started to add some more quizzes to some of my courses to see where students, see if students are getting carried by their group. Oh yeah, okay. Ah. Uh. You know, I'm always revising my courses. It's just it's like, I'm thinking, I'm like, what can I do better? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we've gotten to this point, you know, the capstone, the students working by themselves. So why didn't we catch this? You know, why can't they, why are they struggling? So I want to try to start finding those students who are not. And so it's a little bit more grading for me, but you know, as long as it aligns with the objectives mm -hmm. and it's just showcasing to me individually that they have the knowledge and skills that they can apply to their projects. Now, do you balance those grades between the individual and, and the group work? Does that inform sometimes how you would grade? It's just the points. group work. It's just points. It's just points. Okay. They get points for their. So I the outcome is the outcome. Outcome is the outcome. Yeah, makes sense. And I'm not a 500 point person. Sometimes my courses are like 697. <laughs> but that's fine. It's just where you got. It's where it's, it's where it landed. You don't want to go right. find a way to put three points. I don't want to find else. a way. No. Fair enough. Just round up. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll all be good. So you mentioned. Um, Grading is a part of, on the instructor side of things, um, grading can be an issue and the idea of monitoring groups. What other um, barriers do you see uh, that an instructor might have with trying to build social presence in an online course? With the students? Yes. I think sometimes when it's forced, it's hard to build like discussions. So everybody always wants to have discussions to build social presence. Yeah. But it doesn't build social presence when the question of the discussion only has one answer. Right. Mm. So I think you can build that social presence, but you, but you really have to have engaging. And your discussions need to be where students are like, ooh, what did they put? Like, where you don't have to say you have to post twice, you know, post once, <laughs> reply twice. If it's an engaging discussion, then they're looking at it. Mm -hmm. I, I get undergrads, you know, you still have to lay out like, you need to have a post, initial post by Thursday, I do Thursday. And then you, ha you're, you can only reply between like Friday and Sunday or whatever you want to do. But if you don't, some students are still going to see it as a checkbox. Then it shouldn't be overwhelming. So I was in one class as a student and there was like, three discussions and then we had to post an initial and two reply to each discussion mm. and then there was 20 students i mean my my email was blowing up with the subscription and then i didn't know where you know it's like this is overwhelming so you know again what is the purpose yeah mm. is it to check a box or is it to actually facilitate some sort of yeah what are the students getting out of it so i've really resorted to building case study prompts you know, where the, it's oh, very cool. vague, where, you know, they have to apply the concepts, but there's no right answer. There's a subjective element to the question. Yeah. Yeah, instead of it being just reciting facts. Yeah. Rote memory, it's, yeah. I, I like that approach. I think it, I can think of some of my graduate work where a lot of what we did, especially since I was in the leadership track, it was to deal with actual cases that people had faced. And then, you know, the question was, well, how would you deal with it? Mm -hmm. Right? 
you know, using these 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 tenets or these principles, now apply them here, how would you think you would do it differently or how would you do it the same? And I've always found those to be a very helpful exercise. Yes. And even find that helpful even today in terms of like setting things up for the team. Like when we were doing things, well, let's set up scenarios and let's run through some scenarios of how this might pan out. We want to do this certain thing. Let's run it through. You know, let's simulate it to some degree. Um, so case studies are almost like simulations. They are. They're in the hard. It's real world, and it's it's actually applicable. Well, yeah, there is something about when when something happens, right? And you know it happened, and you know that somebody went through that. You're like, okay, well, this is real life. This isn't just somebody gave me an open ended. How does this make me feel? Kind of question that's open ended, and I can just, you know. I think that's a lot different than the case study where you're like, okay, this is brass tacks. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel like, let's say, having these subjective discussions and as an individual engaging in those discussions or having a team work together to come up with an answer and what would actually make the peers connect more and is it important for the whole class to connect or is it important to connect with at least a couple people where you can bounce ideas that's a great question you're in the midst of it i am in the midst of it uh as a student i was kind of like you where i was i don't i just want to get the job done i don't want to rely on anyone else um I think it's a bit different in a doctoral program because you're coming into it with very motivated peers as well. I think that has something to do with it. But I personally would much rather do it myself, answer the question, and sure, I'll respond to others, but it's really easy, especially early on, it's really easy to just check a box. Wow, I really appreciate what you said, insert quote. I would say, insert this. But then I think... As the, I'm thinking of a couple courses I took, as the course went on, it became more authentic because I was beginning to build um, relationships with those people or at least figure out more of their context of where they're coming from. But even then I would still pick favorites and only respond to this person because they would respond to mine mm -hmm. or, oh, we have some similar, we're both IDs or, oh, we both live in Ohio. You know, that's kind of connectedness. Um, so I don't know if it's necessar necessarily a cognitive choice, but it does create, I guess it is more like a social environment that, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know. Uh, I choose to interact with those that show themselves to be, uh, what's the word? Intelligent? Well... <laughs> I, I don't want to have a conversation with someone, I mean, about something when they don't necessarily know what they're going to be talking about with it. So why have that conversation, make it awkward for yourself and the other person? You can talk about other things, right? But if it's, if it's a matter of learning, then I want to know, I want to find somebody who knows more and, and glean from them, right? I don't want to just keep having a circular conversation. So when it comes to teamwork for me, uh, I'm looking for those people. I'm looking for those that have a drive and have a passion for what they do 
and um, are so seasoned. I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to learn from some. You know, I myself probably don't know that much about it, but I want to learn about it. So why not go to those who have already done that? And I think that's one of the challenges with group work for me personally, mm -hmm. is that you're amidst, you know, peers who are in the same situation. And I'm looking over there thinking, what in the world can you do to help me move forward when you don't even know where we're headed, right? So I think that's why the teacher presence and having those case studies and having those things then when you get into it, you can start seeing how these your peers respond. And I think that's what drives you to become closer as you go through, through it. Um, and I've found over the years that uh, angst and pressure and hard issues can, can either rip people apart in terms of group work or it can draw them extremely close in such a way that they stay close to one another for a long, long period of time. Mm. I mean, I have colleagues like that. Mm -hmm. I can think of them right now in my mind where we went through something that was just really dumb from an educational perspective, like a faculty member who did not even show up, right? And here, you're still getting graded on it. You still have to make this thing work. Yep. And it br brings you together. Yeah, you've got to figure something out, right? And so it's one of those things where, okay, y'all, let's figure out how we're going to do this. Where you start teaching yourselves, even though the teacher has just kind of vacated the building. So there's something for teacher presence right there. It's like learning can still happen, even without a teacher, but. I would say it sure would be nice if you, you had some more, yes. you know, guided direction. And you um, all are motivated. Yeah, I was motivated. But then if you pull this back into an undergraduate realm. Yeah. And where you have the mix of motivated students and unmotivated students and, you know, the pairing. And is social presence necessary there? Or is social for students is that peer-to-peer -peer interaction of forming the community mm -hmm. important in a um, let's say Spanish 101 online course it's not in major yeah. let's say you know is it important and these people may or may not continue on the same path yeah is it important when you start to get to let's say you're I don't know we use up to 400 level for undergraduates so the 300 level where they're into their major they're around they're taking classes with people they're going to continue to take is mm -hmm. it important there yeah and then again what does that look like right in terms of you know they're going to gravitate to certain personalities like yeah you know wow i never thought about it that way and i think about it because i'm you know my old instructional designer you know we i dealt mostly with faculty in undergraduate yeah and you know and that's the impactful one. Like, are they, are they going to motivate those students to go back for their master's? Are they just going to go out? Are they going to drop mm -hmm. out of college? Mm -hmm. um, and they're the one, they're 18 to 22 year olds. They're a completely different. Or they're 16, 17 taking dual credit stuff. Yes. So they will definitely not see the college freshman again. I mean, that, wow, that, I'm thinking of a course that I developed that has discussions in it. And I'm like, 
how fruitful are those discussions? Because it's a, th a thousand level course, mostly, um, some, mine wouldn't say most, but about half are dual credit. Some are college freshmen. And I'm looking at it going, wait a minute, how much is, how authentic is the, are the discussions? Yeah, and how is it actually helping? Build a community. Are, are they, are they, yeah, are they in a spot where they can actually appreciate and be motivated towards yeah. it? So I think in those lower level classes, to get to your point, is like, even seems like one of the objectives should be for those courses is to build an appreciation or a motivation for the subject area. Yes. Right? To, to, to know, oh, so this is why we should learn Spanish 101 because I'm going to have a situation where it would be good for me to understand, you know, Hispanic culture. And this, that takes the instructor presence to really form that. Yes. But then, you know, to your point of discussions, is it necessary to have a discussion every week? Because I had faculty tell me, well, that then I know they're engaging with the course. And I was like, if that's how you know they're engaging with the course, then again, we need to rethink. Yeah, right. Like, when are the discussions appropriate? Like every week, every two weeks? Is it more by topic or, you know, it's just appropriate for this week? So again, it all comes back down. I keep saying it. What is the purpose? The why. And we've said that many times in our, yeah. in, in our podcast, but it's been really great to hear you say it in a way that I think is more informed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask about the FORCE acronym that you're oh, yeah. using, the FORCE, um, because we've developed a DRIVE yeah, yeah. Uh, acronym for um, designing courses as far as helping instructors see the relevance of objectives and assessments and stuff like that. Um, but I wanted you to talk about FORCE, using the FORCE because I think it's super cool as far as for online learning and such. So, how do you connect? You know, describe how you can get connected with your instructor. And we had like 700 um, participants in that survey, so it was a lot of data. Um, <laughs> Datum's good. It is. It's good. It's good. But what came out of it was they really craved the feedback. Like, you know. I can't improve if you don't tell me how to improve. Mm. So the F, you know, so give me feedback on my, on my work, constructive feedback. And then again, the organization, it just, we didn't ask about it, but it came out time and time that if they, that first impression and that, I think I said it, that they care. The instructor yeah. cares if they actually put the time. Because I think if you've been in one bad course and then you get a good course, you're like, wow, you know, this person actually cares. They, mm -hmm. they really set it up nicely. The response time, mm -hmm. it's really important. Emails, they really want 12 hours, but. Really? They do. They wow. want 12 hours. But I think if it's clearly stated, even on my, because I tell my students, I'm like, I will respond in 24 hours except on Saturdays and I unplug and join Steeler games. And, so, <laughs> but, you know, and, and they like it because that cracks them up about it. Yeah, sure. yeah. But, you know, and I, you know what, I still respond on Saturdays. But if I don't want to, I really want to have that outlet too. Sure. But yeah. it's clear my response time. And I think for some instructors, they don't mm. make that clear. And then the response time for feedback. So... 
if they have to do another assignment that builds on assignment one and they haven't got feedback on assignment one, how are they supposed to do assignment two? Yeah. And we, we all know there's those instructors who don't. Wait until the end of the actual they, course to give you all the feedback. Yeah, that or it's after part two and then you don't do well. So it's like, how are you setting your students up for success? You yeah. know, to, you got to. If it's scaffolded, then scaffold it, you know. <laughs> Build the building. Build the building. And then the communication, like they, and it, like I've seen a lot of studies where, you know, do we do this via video? Do we communicate via announcement? Do you do it via email? They don't care. Just, Just do communicate. It. <laughs> like, they're like, I really love how my instructor does announcements, you know, and they remind me what to do. Or my instructor sends me a weekly email, or I get this video from my instructor. They just want that communication. Mm. They want mm -hmm. they want to feel connected. I f am from the old school where you know it's you go into a class, you have a professor, and you're like, yes, professor, yes, doctor, so and so. You don't really ask questions, but they really want now the instructor to understand their situations, mm -hmm. mm, understand my story, understand my story. Yeah. Again, a lot of these surveys happened during COVID, and there was a lot of you know mm -hmm. stories like. I now have to work to help support the family. So, mm. you know, our, sometimes our 18 to 22-year-olds aren't full-time students. Mm. They're full-time students and full-time work, worker. You know, they're full-time employment. So having some empathy, and I get, you know, my grandmother died five times in a semester. Mm. But it's like, do you just cut it off? You know, because maybe that student story is actually real. So. Yeah. Like, fool me once, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, fool me twice. I'm, I'm, so I'll give you one, mm -hmm. and if it's real. But they really want to, you know, when they say, "I'm really struggling," I'm having, you know, and then all these mental health issues, mm. you know, have really that's come to the surface. So, just having a little empathy with the students, and it's interesting because we have the two o'clock presentation, and it came out that. Um, female instructors could reduce anxiety in courses more than males. I don't mm. even know why I put this question on there, but it worked out. Mm. And that males actually have higher anxiety in online courses. No. I haven't, it was statistical, so like, yeah. and I'm not the stats person. I'm, 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 it doesn't I'm surprise me, actually. Like, mm. Yeah, I want to know why. Mm. I don't, so. I don't know if we'll take it further. But then all of these components can bring a sociability of that instructor, which mm. then the students connect with. Yeah. So bring the force. And I like bring the name. The force. Yeah, it's great. That is really good. Yeah, you presented that at AACT last year. Yes. And that's where I first met you and saw you and I was okay. like, this is dope. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Sure. She used the force on you last year? It worked. And brought the, yeah. I was bought in. Here you sure. are. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining Thanks. us, Dr. Conklin. And that's going to do it for us here at AECT. Yes. Day three. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Please subscribe or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For more information, you can email us at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu. Please consider subscribing to our blog, Focus, found at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog.